Let's jump into God's Word this morning. Today we are continuing in our series called Rediscover. And, and what we're doing is we are rediscovering the unique mission that God has given us here at New Beginnings. Two weeks ago, we introduced a new mission statement that I think for us clarifies what it looks like to belong to this faith family, what it looks like to be a disciple here at New Beginnings, and what it looks like to live on mission here at our church. And I think the thing that I love most about our new mission statement is how it solidifies for us the reality that our ability to reach this city, our ability to fulfill the Great Commission and to reach people where God has placed us is dependent not on these four walls of the church, not on the preacher, not on the elders, not on the church staff, but it is dependent upon every single disciple who calls New Beginnings home willing to live their everyday life as a disciple maker. The mission that we are chasing is one where disciples make disciples, which is nothing less than what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28, go into the world and make disciples. And so it's one of the things I love most about our new mission statement. And if you were here two weeks ago, we, we kind of walked through how, how we got here and what the season was like over the last few years that brought us to a place where we believed God was doing this new thing. And if you weren't here uh, two Sundays ago, I'm not going to redo all of that except to just say a few years ago, we began to feel God stirring in us this, this new desire for clarity and, and, um, and, a, and a new passion for what he was doing here and where he was leading us because we were seeing some really good things happen. But listen, we weren't experiencing the manifest presence of God every week. We weren't seeing um, God move in people's lives and, and, and we weren't seeing salvation and those things that we believe happen when the presence of God comes. And because we weren't seeing that, it just brought us to a place where there was a restlessness. God, what do you want to do? And then a year ago, God really began to move in our hearts and in our church family, and we returned to prayer. What do I mean by that? I mean, as a church family, we began to set aside time every single week to make prayer a central priority in who we are and in that season of renewal, God began to reveal what he wanted to do at New Beginnings. And I want you to hear me say this. I don't believe that apart from us returning to prayer on January the 13th of 2021, that we would be in a place where your pastors and elders and church leaders can confidently say, we believe God has shown us what it looks like to be a disciple at New Beginnings. I think we'd be stuck in the same frustrations, stuck in the same, let's just put all our hope in our programs and all that instead of having found this new mission statement that we believe God is doing here at our church. And so here is our new mission statement. If you haven't seen it, it's this. At New Beginnings, we are people connecting people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. We're people connecting people to Jesus and is ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. If you want to write that down, if you want to take your phone out and take a picture of it so that you have it, that'll be just fine. This is our new mission statement, and we believe that this is a statement of identity for us. It's a statement that 
clarifies the unique purpose God has given our church. And through this Rediscover series, what we're wanting to do is begin unpacking this unique mission statement. This is why we're calling it Rediscover, right? Because the reality that God has called his people to live on mission is not new. That's not new. But how he wants to uniquely do that through us is something we want to discover again and learn again and experience in a fresh way and and be inspired toward and revived by so that we will go and live it. We want to be people connecting people to Jesus and his ever restoring life where we live, work, and play. And so two weeks ago, uh, we began in Matthew 16, and what we were discovering was, what does it mean to be the people? If we're people connecting people, that very first word, what does it mean to be the people of God? And we looked in Matthew 16 where Jesus was teaching his disciples about the church. And he, he looks at Peter and he says, uh, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there were two big truths we had two weeks ago about what it means to be the people. As the people of God, we are called out and we are sent out. When Jesus was teaching his disciples what his church would look like, what it would be, and he was building that foundation for them, he used a word that literally means a people called out. That's what church means. So we are called out. Jesus has called us out of one kingdom into his kingdom. Amen. Peter would say it like this. He says called that he has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. We're a people called out. But we're also a people sent out. Jesus said, this is my church, my called out people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What did he mean by that? He's meaning, I am sending you out to go into the enemy's territory with the authority of the one who has all authority to literally storm the gates of hell, taking back what the enemy has stolen with the life-changing power of the gospel. We are called out. We are sent out. That's what it means to be the people. And this morning, we're going to look now at the person. We're going to look at those next few words of connecting people to Jesus and look at the person of Jesus and try to answer the question, um, what does it mean for our mission to be centered on Jesus? What does it mean for us to connect people to Jesus? Again, the mission of New Beginnings is not to connect people to a place. It's not just to connect people to this room. It's not to connect them to our programming. Even though I believe in our pre-K, kids, students, adult ministries, we are second to none. But the point is not to connect them to a program. It's not to connect them to a preacher. It is to connect them to the person of Jesus Christ. And as we are connecting them to the person they will be connected to the place. They will be grafted in to the ministries. They will love the preaching and teaching of God's word. But it begins not by connecting them to a place, but to a person. And this is huge for us. This is huge for us. Because if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, what we're going to discover this morning is what it actually looks like for us to live out the mission and the God-given purpose we have. If you are a believer, you have been saved to know Christ and to make Christ known. That's why you were born again, to know Jesus and to introduce others to Jesus, to know him and to make him known. 
And for most of the church, we love the first part and we punt on the second part. Right? Am I talking to myself? I don't think so. Okay, right? But you're, the, the, the purpose behind your salvation was, yes, your restoration to God, your knowing Christ, but it is also, that isn't the end because if that was the end, why wouldn't he save us and take us home? You're still here for something. Why? To make him known, to introduce others to him. So if you're a Christian, we're going to discover our, our purpose this morning. And if you're not a believer, maybe you're just here because you're here. Somebody asked you to come, you showed up, or maybe you're not sure about your salvation. Then this morning, I want you to lean in because I want you to see what this man, Jesus, can do in your life. I want you to see what this man, Jesus, can do in your life. So, we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. If you want to go to Acts chapter 4, grab your Bible, head that way. Here's what you find throughout the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the origin story of the local church, right? You see a lot of these superhero movies, and two or three, four years later, they, they put one out. That's the origin story of that character. That's what Acts, Acts is the, where did the local church begin? How did the church start? These are the first believers in the book of Acts. These are the people who are trying to figure out what does it look like to live on mission for Jesus? What is it, they're, they're discovering what does it look like to build the kingdom and to connect people to Christ. And in Acts chapter three and four, we get a, a really unique story that takes place. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, in Acts chapter 3, they walk by a man who is lame and who is begging for money. And they walk by this brother and he is just, he's crying out, he's, he's poor, he's need help, he needs help. And Peter looks at him and says, man, I don't have any money. I don't have silver, I don't have gold, I got nothing that I can take and give you. But Peter says, but what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man that had been lame for 40 years stood up and walked into the temple with Peter and John. He was healed in a moment. And it says that this man clung to Peter and John. I, you bet he did. Walking for the first time, these are my new boys. I'm with them and I am saddled up with these cats forever because whatever they just spoke over me has healed me. And it says he clung to Peter and John. Well, when he walked into the temple, it caused a scene because everybody in that temple had also just walked by that lame beggar on their way to pray. And they'd been walking by him for 40 years and ignoring him. Now all of a sudden he is standing here healed with Peter and John. And so this massive crowd comes around right in the middle of the temple, right in the middle of the time to pray. And Peter did what Peter does when he had a crowd. He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel and basically says, don't be surprised by this. This is the power of Jesus. This is, <laughs> this is Jesus on display in this man's life. And we discovered that in that moment, some 5,000 people came to faith. Here's what's amazing in the book of Acts. Jesus was saving people in thousands of human chunks at a time, right? Some 5,000 come to faith. Well, those weren't the only people who gathered around. He also, there were also some priests that had gathered around and some religious leaders. And um, Ananias and 
Caiaphas and some of these other people who gathered around, and they weren't big fans of what was going on, and they weren't big fans of Peter and and John speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 2, they were greatly annoyed that they were speaking in that name. I, I giggled when I saw that because uh, I was, any parents can identify with greatly annoyed. You're not just regular annoyed. You've gone to the next, right? You've kind of crossed over the threshold from regular to greatly uh, annoyed, right? I looked that word up, greatly annoyed, and all it had was a picture of my face. Um, the last time I got into my truck and my kids had used it and the gas tank was empty and the radio was blaring something I couldn't even identify as music anymore and uh, my, all of my change was missing and there was an empty Whataburger bag on the floor. Like my, The face I made in that moment was the face I saw in the Greek dictionary for greatly annoyed, right? I've heard that some parents have had to deal with that before. Um, actually, if you look at that word, what that word means is they were greatly disturbed. They were angered. Another way of translating, they were greatly grieved. This was something that was very troubling for them to hear the name of Jesus spoken. And so, because remember, these are the same men who had put him to death. And so now to hear Jesus resurrected, to hear this being told in their temple, they thought they had put an end to this stuff. And now here are these disciples with a man who's been healed after being lame for 40 years, preaching in the name of Jesus, and they went, we got a problem. This is an issue. We got to deal with it. So they arrest Peter and John, throw them in jail, and the next day, they drag them before the council. So here they are standing before these religious leaders. Let's pick it up in verse 7. Acts 4, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, when the religious leaders had set Peter and John in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? What are they really asking? And, and whose authority were you able to do that, right? Because they can't deny something powerful has happened. They can't deny, they can't ignore that something unbelievable has happened because they walked by this lame beggar on their way into the temple as well. They'd been ignoring him for 40 years. They can't deny that God has just done something. And so what they're saying is, we've never seen anything like this before. We don't have the power to do that. What do you know and what do you have that we don't know? And we don't have. And what they don't realize is they've actually asked Peter and John the most important question. By what power or by what name did you do this? Verse 8. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him... This man standing before you, well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no, other, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, when I come to the end of this life, I hope a room fills up with people 
And if all they can say is me, of me is, I don't know much about Matt Darby. What I can tell you is he had been with Jesus. That's enough. That'll do. They said they didn't have, all, they knew they weren't educated, common men, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, I think it's important to remember here that these disciples, Peter, we, we see them as incredibly mature, lifelong raised up under Christ. We kind of have, but the reality is these guys are discovering what it means to live on mission. They didn't know. They're figuring it out as they go, right? These are the first generation of believers who are living to connect people to Jesus. And so what I want us to see this morning is what were the non-negotiables in the lives of the disciples? What were, what were those things that they kept dear to them. What empowered them as they lived out the mission of connecting people to Christ? What was intrinsic in them? What was central to them? I think there's three truths that we can see from the disciples um, this morning as they connected people to Jesus. Here's the first one. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. The power that had healed the lame beggar was the power of the Holy Spirit moving through Peter. The power that had fueled his message when the crowd gathered around was the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power that was inspiring his response to these religious leaders was the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a power he possessed in his flesh or in his intellect or his education. It was a filling of the Holy Spirit. And this moment that we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, when it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, is a fulfillment of the promise Jesus made in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And here's uh, Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. The Holy Spirit comes, and he's empowered to speak and to be a witness. It's the fulfillment of the promise. When the disciples needed courage, when they needed wisdom, when they needed power and direction, it was given to them by the Holy Spirit that filled them. It wasn't their education. Listen, they didn't have one. They didn't have one. It wasn't their personal courage. 
Peter was scared to tell a girl that he knew Jesus, a, a child. He was scared to admit it. It wasn't their personal courage. It wasn't anything of them. It was the Holy Spirit in them. That's what empowered them. What I love is that I was immediately reminded of a conversation Jesus had with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, he's telling his disciples what they should expect as a result of following him. That life isn't going to be easy. He tells them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, he says, When they deliver you over, meaning when they arrest you, when they hand just fellas, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be hard and it's going to cost you everything. When they arrest you, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Why? For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is who? It is the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of your Father speaking through you. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would tell you the life that we have in Christ, we owe completely and solely to the work of the Holy Spirit. You go, well, what do you mean? I mean this. The moment that you became a believer and your eyes were opened to, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you saw him as the solution for your sin. The moment your eyes were opened to see Jesus as Savior, it was the Holy Spirit that opened your eyes. When you wake up every day and you spend your life and you see Jesus as all glorious and all satisfying and the most wonderful thing in all the universe, it is the Holy Spirit awaking that up in you, stirring that up in you. And we owe our life in Christ, yes, to the work of Christ and yes, to the opening of our eyes and our hearts to Jesus Christ because we could not come to him apart from the Spirit drawing. That's what Jesus said. Unless my Father draws you, you can't come to me. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. From, this is why from the moment that Jesus began to teach his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Now, we see the Holy Spirit before that. But in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the Holy Spirit, saying, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a, a teacher. I'm going to send a, a, a helper. And from that moment, right through the book of Acts, and in virtually every letter to the church, we are implored, be filled with the Spirit, be constant in the Spirit, Pray in the Spirit. Walk in fellowship with the Spirit. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Why? Because in order to live out the mission of connecting people to Jesus, we must be completely dependent on and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of you know this to be true because you know the failure, the feeling of defeat in trying to do what you know God has called you to do, but out of your own power. You know that feeling of defeat and failure and constantly warring against feeling inadequate and constantly warring against feeling afraid to speak the name of Jesus. You know you should, but you can't figure out why it's so stinking hard. And it's because you're trying to do it out of your flesh. They walked in the power of the Spirit. You can't live out the mission of God. You can't connect people to Jesus apart from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, 
lean in. This is why prayer is so critical for our church. Preacher, are you just going to have one week where you stop talking about us praying together? No. There's plenty of churches that don't prioritize prayer. This one will, and I'll never shut up about it, ever. Because prayer is the means by which we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the means by which we get to engage the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And believer, you don't get it any other way. You cannot will the Spirit to fill you so that you can obey. Can't do it. It comes through prayer. We engage in prayer. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming, but you stay there in Acts chapter 1 and you wait for him. What were they doing? Praying. And when they were in the middle of their praying, the Holy Spirit fell. In Acts chapter 4, they didn't know what to do when Peter in, uh, was in prison. So what did the church do? They just prayed. Why? Because it is in praying that we are filled with the Spirit. We don't get it any other way. And some of you in this room this morning, you are living in the fear and failure of trying to do what you know God wants you to do out of your own power and you are just so frustrated because you are perpetually falling and failing and living in fear to speak the name of Jesus. How you overcome that is you get filled with the Holy Spirit and how you are filled with the Holy Spirit is you get with the people of God and you pray. Well, can't I pray by myself? Yes, but you are not to only pray by yourself. We can't do the mission without being filled. This is why the prayer meeting on Wednesday night at 6.30, I just didn't know if you guys knew we pray every Wednesday night at 6. I was just going to tell you again. Just tell you again, right, every Wednesday night at 6.30. That's why it's so important. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if a church is to be what it ought to be for the purposes of God, we must train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. Even if there were only one such, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is only the skeleton of a gathering. The form is kept up, but the people do not come. There is no interest, no power in connection with the meeting. Oh, my brothers, let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. Rouse them to incessant supplication. There is a holy art in it. Study to show yourselves approved by the prayerfulness of your people. And if you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you. And when they begin to pray with you and for you and for the work of the Lord, they will want more prayer themselves and the appetite will grow. Believe me, if a church does not pray, it is dead. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the power of prayer in the church. There is a direct line drawn between the priority of prayer among the people, the filling of the Holy Spirit in the people, and the power of the mission lived out through the people. There is, a, there is a thread that connects those things. Prayer, filling of the Spirit, power to live on mission. And when you abandon the first one, the other two fall apart. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing. They pointed everything to Jesus. 
They pointed everything to Jesus. Look at verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead, by this man, by this, by him, this man is standing before you well. Peter and John said, don't look at us. Look at Jesus. Don't, don't look at us. I believe that some of the motive behind this question from the religious leaders of, of, we want to know by what power and what name you did this, some of the motive behind that was to give Peter and John enough rope to take some credit for themselves. But what Peter and John said is instead, they just point everything to Jesus. Why? Because when you live in the fullness of the Spirit and you walk in the power of the Spirit, your life becomes a constant pointing to Jesus. It's just what happens. It's the natural outflow of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When your life has been transformed by Jesus, it cannot help but point to Jesus. Another way to say that would be this. Gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. Gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation so that when you have been transformed by the gospel, you cannot help but proclaim the gospel. It's just the natural progression of things. I think you see this evidenced all over, certainly all over the New Testament. You see it in the lives of, the, of Peter and the apostles, right? They were transformed filled with the Spirit, and they immediately began to proclaim. You see this in the lives of those first deacons like Stephen and Philip who went from not believing to Stephen preaching one of the most epic sermons in the New Testament even as they were stoning him to death. And then a guy like Philip who was a non-believer, suddenly he was transformed and he became one of the greatest evangelists in the Bible. Through Philip, the gospel went to Africa, Right? So you see it in their lives. You see it in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was courageous. He was passionate. But John the Baptist realized, I am nothing but a pointer. That's all I am. I'm here to point others to the one who is greater than me, more significant than me, that has more power than me, which is why John the Baptist would say, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. I'm nothing but a pointer. You see it in the Luke chapter 8 when Jesus encounters the demon-possessed man. Remember this guy? He, he, was, he was legitimately possessed. God's Word says he walked around with no clothes on in the graves, in the cemeteries. He was out of his mind. And when Jesus encountered him, this is the man Jesus said, tell me your name. And they said, we are legion for we are many. He was filled with demons. And Jesus cast them out. He sets this man free. And in Luke 8, verse 39, this man having been saved now and set free by Jesus, it says he went throughout the whole city proclaiming Jesus and what he had done for him. Why? Because gospel transformation leads to a proclamation that unapologetically, unapologetically centers on Christ. That's what Peter's doing here in Acts chapter 4. He 
if being transformed by the gospel is supposed to produce proclamation of the gospel, if having met Jesus and being changed by Jesus should lead to telling others about Jesus, can we all affirm that's, that, that that is the progression? Then it is worth some self-examination this morning. It is worth looking into your own soul and into your own heart and asking, if nothing in me feels stirred to speak the name of Jesus, have I actually been transformed by it? It is worth searching your soul. It's worth peering into your heart. It's worth asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in you. Because if there is nothing in you that says, I want to speak the name of Jesus. I want people to, through me, hear the good news. of. If there is nothing in you for that, it is worth asking, have I actually received it myself? Because gospel transformation leads to gospel proclamation. So what Pete, that's what we see in Peter's message. Peter's message was not complicated. It was clear and it was simple. He said, Jesus is the reason this man is standing before you well. You ask for a name, here you go. Jesus Christ is the power, the authority that has healed him. He's pointed to Jesus, pointed everything to Jesus. Now listen, pointing others to Jesus is not about shaming them into turning to Jesus by pointing out their faults or their struggles or their wrong cultural or political views. That is not how you win someone to Christ. I got all that kind of stuff I want to say about that, but I'm going to move on because <laughs> we don't point others to Jesus by making ourselves look better than them. Because here's what I know about me in my own sin nature. In my sin nature, I'm a legend in my own mind. You know what I mean? I'm a big deal. I love me some me in my sin nature. And you love you some you. You're a legend in your own mind when you are in your sin nature. So pointing everything to Jesus does not happen when I see others the way I see myself. It's when I see others the way Jesus sees me. And here's how Jesus sees me, a hopeless, broken wreck that he willingly died to save and give me life. This is why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not even, it's no longer even I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul literally said, the life that I have left on this earth isn't even me living, it's Christ in me. That's what it means to point everything to Jesus. And that's what they did. Connecting people to Jesus means I'm gonna walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna point everything to Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Here's the last thing I think we see. They possessed an unwavering confidence in the gospel. An unwavering confidence in the gospel. We don't see the disciples acting with a confidence in themselves. That's just not what you see. They just had a confidence in the gospel. Now think about these guys. 
They had every reason in the world to not be confident, right? They were few in number. They were uneducated. They were inexperienced as, as leaders. They were opposed by an institution that had ruled in power for hundreds and hundreds of years. They lived under the constant threat of arrest and imprisonment and death, and yet their number, their inadequate education, the power of the religious leaders, the constant threats and intimidation was powerless over them. Why? Because their confidence was never in their ability and it was never in their safety. It was in the gospel that had changed them. That's what made them confident. What made them confident was what Christ had done for them. Where's your confidence in your life as you seek to live a life that honors God, that obeys him, that pleases him? Where's your is it in what you know about Jesus? Or is it in what you have experienced? Is it in the head knowledge? Or is it in the transformation you've experienced by him? They were just confident in what God had done for them and what Christ had done for them. And listen, this council, they had no idea what to do with these fellas. They didn't have a clue what to do with them. They couldn't deny that a miracle had happened. They couldn't deny that God had used them in a powerful way. Right? All they could do was threaten them to stop speaking the name of Jesus. And look at what... Peter says in verse 18, so they called them and charged them to speak uh, or teach, to, to not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter basically said, look, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to threaten us. Thanks for that. That's been helpful. But I want you to know you don't have a threat that can stop me from speaking about you. You just don't have one. Why? Because it's not even, well, what if I take your life? Yeah, it's no longer I who live anyway. It's Christ who lives in me. In this life, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself up for me. We cannot help but speak about this name and this man that has changed our lives and changes every life that receives him. We cannot help but speak about the man that has done this supernatural work in us and miraculous works through us. We cannot help but speak about the man we have come to know as the only hope in church. If Jesus really is the only hope, how could we not exhaust ourselves connecting people to him? Where you live, where you work, where you play, at the oil field, at the ball field, and in your living room. How could we not exhaust our lives connecting people to Jesus if we really do believe he's the only hope? This is why Paul, when he writes this epic letter to the church at Rome, he begins in the very first chapter by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel has done in me. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel can do for you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I've come to understand it as the only hope and the power of God for salvation. They just had an unwavering confidence in the gospel. He walked in the spirit. 
pointed everything to Jesus. They had a confidence in the gospel. I was thinking about just other places where we see in Scripture this powerful transformation happen. And I looked in, I remember John 4. Remember John 4, this is the story of the woman at the well. You guys familiar with her? Jesus encounters the woman at the well in Samaria at Jacob's well. This woman is, her life is very broken. Like publicly very broken. And Jesus enters into a conversation with her and he begins to peel back the layers of her broken life. And as he does, he begins to reveal himself as the one who is all satisfying. If you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd give you would ask him and he'd give you living water that satisfies. He begins to reveal himself as the true object of her worship when he says, neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem will people worship for the fathers looking for a people who will worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he wants. And he ultimately reveals himself to her as the Messiah. And he, he changes her life. Her life is transformed. And I want you to see what happens next in verse 28. John 4, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jump down to verse 39. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What do you see? You see a woman whose life was transformed and she ran into the city, the very city she avoided, the very people she couldn't stand being around, but she couldn't help it. She just ran into the city. She didn't know anything about Jesus. She couldn't explain anything. You know what her invitation was? It was this, come see a man. Come see the man who told me. Come see the man who I have experienced. Something has happened in me and you need to come see who this is. That was it. She had no interest in connecting people to herself. She wasn't even interested in going into that town and trying to repair her reputation. Hey, y'all should think different about me now. I've, I've met this guy named Jesus and I'm different and y'all need to start thinking of me. But she didn't hurt. All she cared about was I need for you to come with me. We're going to go see Jesus. That's it. And I think we complicate the message. But if you have been born again and you live filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're confident in what Christ has done in you, sometimes it's as simple as, come see the man who changed my life. Let me introduce you to the man who made me new. I'm not who I was. I've been born again. I've been made new. Come see the man who did that for me. Because I believe, I'm confident, he can do it for you. So let me ask you this morning. You cannot proclaim a gospel you have not received. You cannot share a story of life change that you have not experienced. So I'm asking you this morning, have you been transformed by Jesus? 
Have you been born again? Have you seen Jesus as the most glorious and all-satisfying reality in the universe and you have made him the Lord of your life? What that means is you've surrendered your will and your desires and said, Jesus, if I get nothing else, I want you. It means you came to a place where you realized you were separated from God and that there was nothing you could do that would repair that separation. But then you heard about Jesus and how he died on the cross and he paid the debt for the sins that had separated you from God. And through that debt, through the shedding of his blood, he has made a way for you to be reconciled to God. And you heard that and you received that gift of salvation as your own. Has it happened to you? Well, I'm not sure. The question is, can you point to a moment where your life was transformed? You were one thing, you met Jesus, and now you're something else. Has that happened? And some of you this morning, you need to get real in your own soul. And you need to stop believing that my good behavior, my best effort, and my religious practices are the evidence that I've been born again. If you have not been transformed, that's what I'm asking. Has the gospel transformed your life? I invite you to bow your head and pray with me. If that's you this morning, and you would just honestly say, you know, Matt, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Or I am sure. I'm sure that I haven't made that decision. I'm sure that I have not been born again. And you're realizing this morning that that is what's missing from your life. That is what you need to do. You can't live declaring a reality that you have not experienced. And you this morning, you know it's time to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's time to stop playing around with Christ and get into relationship with him. If that's you, it is as simple as you praying this prayer that says, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. I am tired of playing games. I'm tired of playing church. I need a new life and a new heart. Would you save me? If you prayed that prayer this morning and you have prayed to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the moment we stand up and start singing, I want you to tell your neighbor, excuse me, I gotta step out. And come take one of us by the hand and just say, I have made Jesus the Lord of my life today. Maybe this morning, your response would simply be, I, I, I have to acknowledge I'm not living filled with the Spirit because I'm not living de spiritually dependent on prayer. I do Sunday morning. I pray when the preacher prays. I pray over my food a few times a week. But I don't live dependent on, on engaging the Spirit of God through prayer. Maybe this morning you just need to come get at this altar and just repent and say, Father, I need to make prayer the priority. You have told me it must be in my life. If I'm if this is the only means by which I am filled, then let me come and do that. Maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer this morning. He has called all of us to the mission of connecting people to Jesus. To live on that, you must be filled with the Spirit and you must be born again. So I'm going to pray in the moment I say amen. If you need to repent, if you need to come give your heart to Christ, you step out and come on. Father, I love you and I'm so grateful for your word. I just pray over the next few minutes, God, that the work you're doing in our hearts, 
would stir us to move, stir us to respond. Don't let us sit still. Move in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. You come.